Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Nick. I am one of the pastors at Mercy Commons. If you've joined us here for the first time, um, it is my privilege to continue the series in Ruth. And most of you are probably used to Netflix, where there's a little box in the corner that says skip recap. Um, there will be no such box in this corner, so you're just going to have to bear with me as I recap what's happened in uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is an amazing book. It's a history book. Um, this is not a story. These are people that actually lived and existed. Um, there's record of them, genealogies of them. It's a love story. Um, it's a manual on biblical, and, um, on biblical manhood and womanhood, and it's also the beginnings of the Abrahamic covenant weaving in the idea of race inclusion uh, with regards to a covenant that God would bless the entire world through the Jewish people. And so I'm going to pray, and then we are going to dive in. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. Uh, I want to thank you for the gift of technology that enables us uh, to be, um, in a sense, in uh, different places at the same time. But I want to thank you, Father, that, um, that you are with us, that your spirit dwells within us. I want to thank you for the power of your word and ask uh, that even if we are in a different environment, um, even if we are watching this on our phones or on our screens or um, together or apart, that um, we would still have the same posture of saying, Spirit of God, speak to me through this, your word. So what's happened so far is a man called Abimelech had two sons and a wife called Naomi. Uh, there was a famine, so they moved down to Moab, and his two sons married two Moabitesses, and their names were Ruth and Orpah. And we covered this in the first couple of times that um, Orpah, um, Orpah and Ruth's husbands died Naomi's husbands died, and they all left destitute. They don't know what to do. And so they've heard that actually there is food available back in their hometown of Bethlehem. But this is not Ruth and Oprah's uh, hometown. This is only Naomi's hometown. And so what happens is we have this exchange about whether Ruth is going to go with Naomi or not. Um, Orpah has decided to stay behind in Moab, but Ruth has decided to journey with Naomi back to um, back to Bethlehem. Anyway, they find themselves destitute. We've covered this. Um, they're widows. They have no means of supporting themselves. They have no food. They have no one looking after them. And so what happens is Ruth goes and does what a lot of poor and destitute people would do during the time of harvest. And she would go into these harvesting fields. And because Jewish law stated that you needed to make provision for people that were poor and destitute, you had to, be, you had to leave some of the, um, of the harvest unharvested so that poor people could come and glean. And gleaning basically means picking up um, the food that was on the dirt, the wheat, the barley, um, and using it for yourself. And last week, Karen did a masterful job in just showing us how the so-called coincidences that we see in our lives are actually God maneuvering situations for our benefit and for the blessing of many others. 
And so last week we talked about the whole idea of all these things that just happened to be there. Ruth just happened to be in Boaz's field. Boaz just happened to visit. And so we see how God is intricately involved in our lives and intricately involves, involved in the details of our lives, even though it seems that he's not around, which is why we've called it God in the shadows. So let's pick up at Ruth 2, verse 13 to 23, and I'm reading from the ESV. Then she said, now Boaz has said to her, I want you to stay in my field. I don't want you to go to other fields because for your own safety, I want you to stay in my field and and glean from my field as much as you can. Um, And so she replies to him and she says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. And that's what we're talking about today is the power of kindness. You have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose again to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So he's, uh, he's changing the rules a little bit here. Uh, he's saying, okay, uh, when we harvest, we put them in bundles, and those bundles are not meant to be tampered with. Those bundles are the property of the property owner. And he's saying, no, you know what, you can even, you can even take some of those. So we can see already a shift in his attitude towards, towards Ruth. Um, so she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah, which is 30 pounds of barley. And she took it up, she loaded it up, and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and um, sorry, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food had been left over after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, "Where did you glean today? And where have you worked?" Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked in the day. And she said, the man's name whom I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, a guardian or, or family or a kinsman redeemer. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So Naomi said to Ruth and her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. And remember, we've spoken about this multiple times, that Ruth was in great danger of being assaulted because Moabitesses were known as crafty, sultry seductresses. And, um, and there was a sense in which if she went into another field, she could have been physically assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So who is Boaz in this scenario? Boaz is the absolute antithesis of Mara. Now we remember Naomi said in the beginning of chapter 1, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant, but call me Mara because it is a bitter situation that I am faced with. He's not just opposite to her in attitude, he's opposite to her in position. 
Naomi is like the lowest rung of the social ladder. You could not get lower than that. She was old, so she's probably not going to marry again. She has no way of earning income. She has no heirs to provide for her. And here he is. He is a landowner. He has people who's working for him. He has multiple fields. And so they are opposite, not only in position, but also in attitude. When you jump back to chapter 1, we look at verse 1, and it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. And this word is interesting. This word means a man of great wealth or a man of influence. It also means a war hero of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And his credentials here are important because he really is the man around town. He really is someone that everyone would know. You know, oh, there goes Boaz. You know, did you see him walking down the road? It's also important to recognize that when someone of a high stature or a high social standing recognizes you, it actually, just by that recognition, raises your stature in those kinds of cultures. So that's important. Um, and in verse 4, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And then they answered, The Lord bless you. You look at his nature, his, his love for God. He's a bold encourager. The closest we can come to this call and response is when we would say, God is good. And people would say, all the time, all the time, God is good. And there's this call and response that Boaz is leading with his workers. And so people understand not only is he a good boss, but he is someone who loves Yahweh. He encouraged his workers. He brings glory to God. And he is incredibly large and positive and joyful. He is the absolute opposite of Naomi, who is hopeless, empty, and bitter. And during this time, a friend of mine said to me, how are you doing, Nick? And I said, well, the Lord is good. No, I didn't. Uh, I said to him, man, I am struggling to find the droplets of grace in the thunder shower of man's stupidity, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and though I like that little phrase, I, I, when I read this, I was like, man, there is so much to be grateful for. There is so much good that is happening. That, that even in the context of our community, as people are loving and sacrificing for, another, for one another. And, and it's so easy to begin to feel like Naomi. It's so easy to even begin to feel like, you know what, just change my name. You know? My name means victory for the people. Change my name to like, this is horrible. <laughs> Whatever that is, you know what I mean? Whatever the translation for this is horrible means, just change my name to that, you know? Um, but Boaz is not that kind of man. He's, he's one of these large men. It's like when, when he walks in the room or one of these people that walks in the room, you're like, you feel like things are going to be better just because they're there. This is the kind of person Boaz was. That's the kind of person I feel like God has called us to be in this season. Boaz is a man who integrates his faith and his work. And this is not just... Male. This is, this is a, a pattern for us to be able to see the kind of boss that we can be that actually brings glory to God. My first job, um, I remember driving in the car with my boss, and I was telling her some ideas that, uh, I, uh, that we had. And I said to her, you know what would be great? We were working on a training program. And instead of just training people willy-nilly, which, which is a specific term, you know, um, that everyone understands. Instead of training people willy-nilly, why, why don't we create like key results areas and we, we train according to those rather than just put everyone through training X or Y. I was working at a pharmaceutical company at that time. And so she's like, yeah, well, let me think about that. Anyway, we go to this meeting and we're sitting in the boardroom 
And uh, she says, I have an idea. Why don't we train people according to key results areas? And I was like, wait, hang on. I heard that before. That was me. I said that. She totally took credit for my idea, did not even say, oh, Nick had this great idea. I was an intern, which is what? You know, servitude is the closest we'll come to slavery, I guess, in the context of this environment. But, you know, I had no status there, and it was easy for them to think, of course this is her idea. How many of us have worked for bosses that say things like, this is business, in order to excuse ruthless, ungodly, and exploitative behavior? How many of us who work for bosses that don't care about us at all? Boaz fed his workers. You know, you didn't need to feed your workers, but he fed his workers. Um, Boaz did not harvest to the corners of his field. He didn't squeeze every inch of profit out of it. And he also empowers Ruth. He could have just so easily have picked up a sheath and given her the grain. But he gives her the dignity of saying to the guys, why don't you just drop some things so that she can come behind and actually work for it? Now, gleaning and work were two different things. It's important for us to understand that. The minute you were gleaning, people understood this, that you were poor and destitute. But when you were harvesting and when you were working, it meant that you already had status above the person who was gleaning. And so what Boaz did by giving her this opportunity to, to actually work, because that's what Naomi said, where did you glean, where did you work? Because there's no way you could have gotten 30 pounds of barley from just gleaning. He raises her status and her opportunity to do that. He, he leaves something behind for her to be able to pick up. When Karen and I were dating, um, my, one of the first or second dates we went on was we went to a flea market. And, uh, man, you got to see pictures of me. I'm totally bohemian. You know what I mean? We're wearing leather sandals and the whole lot. And so uh, I bought leather sandals, and, and the one leather sandal was lighter than the other leather sandal. And so Karen said, well, I have Dubbin at home, and if you, if, you just, um, if you just wipe them with Dubbin, you'll be able to get them to be the same um, shade. And so I'm like, that's a great idea. Why don't we go back to your house and, and get the dubbin? You know, so we get the dubbin, and then, and then what happens is I leave my sandals at her house on purpose. Why? To, 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 so I get to go back and pick up my sandals. There's a reason now for me to go back. And, and this is what Boaz is doing. He's like, okay, let me, let me leave something for her so that there's a reason for me to actually re-engage with this woman. But more than that, there's a sense in which he's raised her status. Boaz also knows how to treat people. And particularly in this area, he knows how to treat women. But this is a lesson that we can all learn about how to treat people. Now, I want to say it's probably not a good pickup line for you men. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine is not a good pickup line. No one will understand what that means, you know. Um, but this is important. Boaz risks being misunderstood by showing kindness to a foreigner and an enemy of Israel. And he's basically saying, come, sit and eat with me. And not only eat with me, but share with me in terms of dip your morsel, the bread that I'm giving you in this wine. That, that was sharing together. That gave her, again, he's raised her status by saying, you can actually glean and work in here. And he's raised her status again by saying, come, and share my meal. And so there's a couple of things I want us to, to realize about how we can treat people and, and, and 
And this is men. This is how you should be behaving in the context of your marriage. Ladies, if you're not married, this is the kind of man you should be looking for. But all of us, these are some of the behaviors that we need to um, take part in if we're going to bring glory to God in the way in which we interact relationally. Uh, Corin mentioned this, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into detail, but first thing is he noticed her. You know, so last week, remember, she was there, oh, who is that? And, and one of the things that we need in our world is for someone to see us. It's just a simple thing, right? It's a simple thing for you to see someone, to recognize them, to literally say, I see you, I notice you, I understand that, that you're around. He provides generously for her. I've already gone through that. He's, he's given her gleaning privileges. He's given her a meal. He's upped the meal to basically share with him. And now he said that she can actually work and gain, um, uh, gain some produce from the sheaths. Now, this is costly to him. She is literally eating his profits. Literally. And so this is not the extras that he was meant to give in the context of the law. He's giving her more than that. He serves her. He piles up the grain for her. And he gives her enough to eat. And scripture tells us not only enough to eat, but until she was satisfied. She had eaten so much that she actually put some in her pocket. And we'll see how that interacts with Naomi when she gets home. She'd eaten so much for lunch. She was satisfied. She puts some in her pocket and takes it away. He notices her. He provides for her. He serves her. He protects her from real and physical danger in those cases. And for us men, it's, it's probably not physical danger that we need to protect our wives from, but it's from spiritual, emotional, and mental danger that we need to protect them from. I remember sitting with Karen one day and, and, and placing my hands on her shoulder and saying, stop listening to the devil. And there are times where protecting your wife is standing in the gap and praying for her, reminding her who she is, where the devil and the world continues to badger her in terms of things she should be doing or ways she should look like or things she should have achieved. You're protecting her where you stand there. You say, stop listening to the devil and listen to what Jesus has spoken over you. And that's a way that we can protect each other, but also the people that are close to us. He speaks tenderly to her. Verse 13 says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, and you have comforted me and spoken kindly. And spoken kindly means to speak upon the heart. I want you to picture this idea of, of her head on his chest and, her, and him speaking kind words to her. That, that's what that means. You have spoken to my heart, kindly to my heart. One of the areas that I struggle with the most in the context of this is remembering that kind words are powerful. Kind words are so, so powerful. And sometimes you need kindness more than you need the truth in that situation. Now, it's not either or, because remember, when you're protecting, you're declaring truths. But one of the things that we need to become better at is to be able to speak tenderly to our wives. He publicly affirms her. We saw this in chapter 2. He's like, oh, this is the woman who accompanied Naomi. This is the woman that gave up everything and actually came with Naomi to look after her mother-in-law. This is worth affirming. And most importantly, he points her to God. In verse 12, as Corin reminded her, he didn't say you're under the shelter of my wing. 
He said, you are under the shelter of the Almighty's wing. And he says, you are protected because God is your protector. And so if, if, you, if you want to be a man like Boaz in the context of your general relationships, if you want to be a man like Boaz in the context of your marriage, one of the things that you've got to be able to learn to do is to point people to God. Yes, I want to speak kindly to you. I want to notice you. I want to provide for you. I want to serve you. I want to speak tenderly to you. I want to do all those things. But ultimately, your security, your sanity, your status in terms of your heart is not defined by me. It's defined by the one under whose wing you are under the shadow of. Kindness is like a pebble in a pond, and there is power in small actions. And so we see that kindness moves people from bitterness to hope. I want you to imagine the scenario. 30 pounds is maybe not a lot in a kettlebell. You can pick up 30 pounds. You know? My dog weighs 50 pounds, and that's not heavy for me to pick up, but have you ever tried to pick up a dog? Now try and pick up 30 pounds of barley. You've got to put it in a sack. You've got to tie the whole thing together. Now I know that women in those days were used to a much harder life and were used to much more physical activity, but 30 pounds is a significant amount of weight to carry all the way from the harvest field back into the city. And imagine her walking back to Naomi and imagine Naomi looking at her, which is, we don't need to imagine because Naomi tells us, she says, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? I mean, we have no food, no nothing, and all of a sudden you arrive with 30 pounds. Now, I don't know how much bread 30 pounds can make. I'm assuming a lot. And what we've seen here um, from Naomi is that there's this shift in her that begins to happen. She's assumed that she's worked because there's no way gleaning could have provided that much. And then there's this subtle shift where where she was Naomi, she became Mara, and now she becomes Naomi again. Verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. You hear the word kindness again? Whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. She's moving from bitter to pleasant again. Naomi's hope begins to become restored, that she is not forsaken, that God has not forsaken them, and that Ruth is, is funnily enough, the one that will redeem Naomi. Even though, as we'll see next week, there is a redeemer, and that is Boaz, Ruth functions as Naomi's redeemer. Kindness always makes people ask why, who, what, how. We look in verse 19, um, she, you know, the way we carry God's generosity should make people ask what Naomi said, who took notice of you? That's what Naomi says to Ruth, who took notice of you? We understand 30 pounds of barley is now basic food and survival is now no longer an issue. They are not going to starve. But they've actually reached this place of blessing now. She shares with her the roasted grain. And this is one of my, my favorite things. Ultimately, when we look in the scripture, she sits down and, and in verse 18 it says, And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after she was satisfied. And so this morsel of grace that she enjoyed with Boaz, she eats until she's satisfied and she has left over and she, and she takes that to Naomi, which makes Naomi ask, who took notice of you? And in our lives, when God gives us this abundant blessing, there is a sense in which people can see the blessing on us. People can see us carrying this blessing of 30 pounds of barley, but there are often things that they don't see, and we need to sit at a table with them and pull out the hidden blessings of God and say, I want to share something with you. 
And that's what Ruth did at the table. She pulled this out and she said, hey, not only 30 pounds of barley, look what else I got. I got some roasted grain here. And I ate until I couldn't eat anymore. And here is some for you. We know something that Naomi doesn't know. We know that the man was Boaz. But she knows something that we don't know in this case. And she knows that he's ultimately the Redeemer. And so the original audience is now poised because now the two things that they would be aware of, the fact that, oh, this story is not going to end in disaster. The story is not going to end in pain because we have the opportunity to see what God is going to do. Now, all of a sudden, there's a bit of a bubble and then the episode ends, right? Kindness can be heavy. Ruth's kindness redeems Naomi. The irony is that Boaz, even though is the redeemer, Ruth becomes the redeemer. But when God blesses us, do we ask ourselves, who can I share this with? Now, the most amazing thing for me in the context of, of COVID was to see people that are not wealthy literally coming to us and saying, um, I want, I, God has blessed me and I want you to help me find someone that I can bless with this blessing. So we have had single people, we have had widows, we have had people who can't afford, um, who should keep their stimulus check, who should um, invest what they've received as a blessing, actually say, you know what, God has blessed me, I want to give this away. The key is that Ruth was willing to carry and share the provision that God had given her. That sometimes the burden of mission gets so heavy that we begin to resent it. And we begin to resent this burden when we ourselves are not hungry. Now understand, Ruth had had her fill, right? She had eaten until she was satisfied. She picks up this 30-pound bag of barley and she's walking home. Now if she was hungry, there would be a different gate, right? And this is the problem with us. Uh, Karen and I were, were watching the series called Alone, and these guys have to kill whatever they eat. And the thing is, you have to carry whatever you kill. And so he killed an 800-pound musk ox. 800 pounds? Are you kidding me? And you know what? He has a very good attitude about walking 16 miles and carrying hundreds of pounds back and forward. Why? Because he's hungry and because he needs that sustenance. And we begin to resent the burden of God's blessing when we're not hungry anymore. We're saying, God, this is, this is heavy. It's, Nick, I've given you this to share. If you share it, it becomes lighter. That's how it works. Why don't you share some of this blessing? We live in an age that is characterized by Mara, with COVID, with racial tensions, economic man meltdown, cancel culture. We live in a world that literally we could call Mara, a broken world that is bitter, hopeless, frustrated, afraid, and angry. But there are blessings out there that the world should be able to see that are on us, like the barley. And there are blessings out there that we need to take out of our pocket with the roasted grain. We need to be those people who are non-anxious presence. We need to be those that are not divisive. We need to be those that are giving each other the benefit of the doubt, that are refusing cancel culture, that are slow to speak, but uncompromising about the truths of the gospel. We need to be those that are full of loving kindness, full of grace and truth. Because as scripture tells us, as the days 
Um, as the days continue, the love of many will grow cold and they will gather around them teachers that, that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. We cannot get stuck in our own echo chambers. We have to be a people rooted in the word of God, understanding what God has said, but willing to listen to the pain of others. Do people look at us and see satisfied people? Or do they just look at burdened people carrying this 30 pound of, I have to go to church. I have to do this. I have to pray. I, I have to give. Is that what people see? Or do they see us bring this 30 pound of barley, put it down there and say, and that's not all. I have roasted grain to share with you. And I didn't deserve any of this. That guy, he gave me more than I could ever ask or think or imagine. And that's exactly what we as Christ followers have received. This morning, I received a text from one of our leaders. And this, is, this was a, a blessing to me. She said, Nick, this is what I'm praying today. No matter what sickness prevails, Christ is risen. No matter who is president, Christ is risen. No matter the state of our economy, Christ is risen. No matter what injustice prowls our society, Christ is risen. Jesus persevered through slander, betrayal, accusation, brutality, and torture, and then he rose up and conquered death. No matter what fog you find yourself lost in, be it fear, apathy, hopelessness, or anger, he is risen. And like the sun rises in the morning and burns away the sitting fog, allowing the truth to burn in your heart and to raise you up and fill you with confidence that Christ is the rock. And I was like, I need, I need that. We all need that. There's enough bad news out there. And this reminder is basically what Steph did is take out of what was in her pocket and say, here, eat with me. God is speaking to me. Pray with me. And that's the kind of people we need to be. The joy is that we're not inviting people to our table. We're inviting people to his table. When Jesus said, invite anyone to come and eat without price, and people gave excuses no, I can't. I've, I've got a job, or I, I just got married, or I need to test out these oxen. I don't even know how that works. But, but they kept giving him these excuses, and then he said, okay, fine. Then bring the poor, bring the crippled, bring the lame. And his, his servants came and said, but there's still space. Then he said, fine, go out into the highways and the byways. And even the people that don't deserve to be here, call them to my table. That's what we have done. Ruth starts the story of inclusion of Gentiles in the story of God's redemption of the entire world. Jesus reiterates in the Gospels that both directly and indirectly Gentiles are going to come into the kingdom. And Peter has this dream. All of this is focused around food, by the way. All of this is focused around food. Jesus is our better Boaz. And I know we've heard that, and I know you may roll your eyes at that, but it is so true. We bring nothing to this table. In fact, we mess it up. We are dirty and filthy. We sit down on this beautiful white table, and we mess it up with our own filth and sin. And Boaz gave Ruth bread that she didn't deserve, but Jesus is the bread of life that, have, that has given himself fully. Boaz gave some mercy and some grace, but Jesus gave all mercy and all grace to us while we were still enemies. Remember, Moab was an enemy of Israel. Jesus is greater in kindness and sacrifice because even though Boaz sacrificed some of his profit, Jesus sacrificed everything. We are seated next to him, not at an earthly table, but at a heavenly one. And he speaks kindly to us through his shed blood. Hebrews tells us this, your blood speaks a better word. 
Band, you can come up. Ephesians 2, Paul reminds the Ephesian church that you guys were like Ruth, the bottom of the social pile. You had no reason for anyone to notice you. You had no reason for anyone to pay attention to you. And yet your status has been changed. Verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. He has raised us up, and we are seated with him. And this is not seated in a row. This is not just seated together and looking. This is seated at a table. That's what seated with him means. Seated at a table in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, his provision. So not only are we seated at his table, but this is a table that is so well provided for. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that like Ruth, we were those that were poor, powerless. We had no hope. We entered into a field hoping to find some dregs, and you noticed us, and you protected us, and you raised our status, and you spoke tenderly to us, and you sacrificed for us, and you said, come and sit at my table. And we said, but God, we don't have anything. And, and you said, you don't need anything. And we sat at your table and we confessed our sin and we repented from living lives according to our own autonomy and rebellion. And you held us, our head to your chest, and you spoke kindly to us. God, we are so privileged. And I pray, my Father, that you would use us as redeemers during this time that you would use us as Ruths and Boazes, as, as those that have received the mercy of God to be able to go and speak and share of the blessings that you have given us, undeserved blessings. So Spirit of God, I want to pray for those of us that have never eaten at this table of grace. I want to pray that you by your Spirit would lead them to a place of submitting themselves to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to pray for those of us that are that are bitter and lean. Maybe our marriages are, are bitter and lean. Maybe we are bitter and lean. Jesus, I want to pray that you would just speak hope and life. I want to pray for those that are just burdened with a weight of mission. This thing that, that, that was such a joy when we first came to faith. It was so exciting when we said, yes, I can't wait to share this with my friends and my family. It's now this burden. God, I want to pray that you would remind us of the blessing of this. That you would give us a glimpse in, into all the Naomi's that are waiting, that are saying, who did this? How did you receive that? And that we are able to say, by grace alone through faith, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.